Thanks, Carl, and good morning. I'm going to jump straight into it. Uh, this morning we'll be reading from a short passage on Matthew chapter 3, particularly around the baptism of Jesus. I want to look at the love of God and how our security and identity is found in God's everlasting love found in Christ Jesus. So just a brief bit of context first. Uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 3, we learn that John is teaching the crowds and baptizing people in the river, in the river Jordan. Jesus travels down from Galilee to the river to be baptized by John. Jesus then, chapter 4, Jesus then goes into the wilderness and is tested, and after that testing returns to Galilee, where he begins his preaching, calling his disciples, healing the sick, and uh, it's often the beginning of what we call uh, Jesus' public ministry. So Jesus' baptism in in this gospel is a pivotal turning point in the life of Jesus. It's the point between his previously unheralded, relatively unknown private life to where he becomes a relatively well-known public figure who is uh, preaching and teaching, healing and performing miracles as recorded in the Gospels. So that's a bit of context to the passage we're going to be reading this morning. The piece we're reading this morning is the baptism. This is the pivot point in the Gospel between Jesus coming out of relative unknownness into his public ministry. So if we turn turn with me and read Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13, finishing at 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. So it's most likely that Jesus walks from Galilee, and if we presume it was Nazareth, down to the Jordan River, a distance of uh, the Jordan River, northeast of Jerusalem. It's a distance of well over 100 kilometers. So this is no mere whim on the part of Jesus. He didn't just happen to be wandering past and go, oh, there's John, Ah, might as well get baptized today. (laughs) It wasn't like that. It was at least, I would say, I'd estimate at least a three-day walk from Nazareth down to the Jordan, northeast of Jerusalem, in the Judean desert. So it appears that Jesus is traveling a long way, very intentionally, for a specific reason. Now, John has been teaching that he baptizes with water, but one one is coming after him who is greater than he, who will baptize with fire. And John identifies Jesus as the one who is coming after him. And so when Jesus arrives and asks to be baptized... Understandably, John says, uh, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus says something like this, John, I've come all this way to do this very thing that needs to be done to fulfill the way it needs to be. Could you please do this for me? And John consents. A few years back, that word consent in this passage really struck me. 
I believe God desires to bring into our lives love, truth, freedom, grace, abundant life. But he does not force this. He invites us to open our lives. But we must consent. It takes our consent. So, John in this instant consents in obedience to his Lord and Jesus is baptized. And when he comes up out of the water, a voice declares, This is my son, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. And it's this passage this morning that we want to unpack a little bit in three parts. This is my son, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. First, let's just hear what some other translations translate that, how they say it. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is my son, my beloved, in whom I delight. This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. So in Christ, we are God's beloved. On us, his favor rests. He is well pleased with us. He delights in us. In Christ, you, you, you are God's beloved. In Christ, on you, his favor rests. With you, he is well pleased. And he delights in you. Now, I wonder this morning if some of us, and especially me, living as we do in our individualistic, performance-orientated culture, may need to hear this afresh. To be enraptured again by the everlasting love of God and to be secure in who God has created us to be in Christ Jesus. So just walking through the phrase, this is my son, whom I love, and him I am well pleased. This is my son. Speaks to the position of Christ and our position in Christ. It's a declaration of relationship. The position of son was an important position back in that day. Uh, The son was heir of everything the father had. There was a sense of equivalency between father and son. The eldest son got it all. It was just a matter of timing. Think about the parable of the uh, prodigal son. Um, Father says, everything I have is yours. This morning, someone needs to hear that this morning, your father is saying, everything I have is yours. Trust in me. So Jesus' identity at his baptism is affirmed in the relationship of the Trinity. We see at his baptism, Father, Son, and Spirit. The voice of the Father, the Spirit descending like a dove, and the Son rising up out of the water. Jesus' identity and security is forged in this relationship. As human beings created for connection and community, our security comes from who we are in relationship, in community. We're created for connection. Identity is both deeply individual and profoundly corporate. 
And I think in our culture sometimes the individual bit is easy for us to grasp. The corporate piece sometimes maybe it takes a little bit more effort on our part, a little more intentionality. So when we're talking about our identity, when we're talking about our security and our identity and who we are, and specifically our identity in Christ as the beloved of God, we cannot do so without talking about relationship. There is no individualistic me and Jesus. That's Jesus loves you. God loves you. And in exactly the same way, God loves every other of the 8 billion human beings on this planet. Now, God is God. Only God can do that. When we're talking about relationship, we're talking about a relationship that is both upward and outward with God and with others. And of course, this is reflected in the greatest commandment. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this upward dynamic and this outward dynamic. So in Christ, our identity and security as beloved sons and daughters of the Father, upward, raised to life, in Ephesians to a position in the heavenly realms in Christ, and empowered by the Spirit to live our earthly life, this identity is outworked in relationship with others. I think in our individualized consumer culture, it's important to remember this, that it's not just all about me. Look at me. So not only are we secure in our identity as God's children, not merely are we God's children, we are his beloved children. Which brings us to the second part, whom I love. God is love. I'm going to just want to unpack a little bit. What is this love that God loves us with? We are God's child. We are his beloved child. What is this love? God's love in Greek is agape. Agape refers to a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. Agape isn't born just out of emotion or feeling or familiarity or attraction. None of those things are necessarily bad. But agape comes from the will and is a choice. Agape love requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. Agape love is a sacrificial love that unites and heals. It is the love of God that we see through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is this love that saves and restores humanity in the face of sin and death. And this is the love that God loves you with. It's not by our effort. It's not by what we do. It's because of Jesus Christ. You are God's beloved child. And with you, he is well pleased. So, in Christ, so God says over Christ, with him I am well pleased. Now remember that at this point, Jesus has lived in relative obscurity in a small town in a small nation oppressed by the Roman Empire, far away from centers of power and influence. He is essentially, in the power and the halls of power of those days, a nobody. Pretty much like you and me, 
just a human being living life. No public ministry, no great deeds for God, no huge significance. He lives a human life very simply in full abiding relationship with his heavenly father. There's no compulsion to perform. There's no need to prove his sonship. There's no need to prove that he's worthy of God's love. Jesus at his baptism has in our parlance, he's done nothing to deserve God's pleasure. He hasn't performed. He hasn't shown up. He hasn't delivered. He's just lived a life. There's nobody. God says, this is my beloved son, whom I love, and him I am well pleased. Jesus is affirmed as beloved, and this empowers his public ministry. We see in the Gospels in Jesus a full confidence of who he is in God. You get a clear sense when you read the Gospels that no one tells Jesus what to do. No one forces him to do anything. He works seamlessly in obedience to his heavenly Father and in the power of the Spirit. Jesus is secure in his identity as God's beloved and his ministry flows from this. His ministry is not the attempt to earn it. Our lives are not about earning God's love. Our lives are about flowing from God's love. He says, I must be about my Father's business. I do only what I see my father doing. He lived in perfect obedience to his heavenly father from a deep relationship of agape love. Remember that Jesus is a delight to his father before his public ministry. God delights in Jesus. On Jesus, God's favor rests. God is well pleased with him. And we are in Christ. And therefore, the same voice that speaks over Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, this is my beloved son whom I love and whom I am well pleased, the same voice says to you this morning as individuals, says to us this morning as a corporate body, you are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. With you, I am well pleased. I delight in you. Now, I actually think this can be very difficult for us to comprehend or truly believe. Because our performance-oriented culture demands that we prove our worth. Be beautiful. Be useful. Be sexy. Be productive. Be wealthy. Be popular. Be powerful. B, B, B. And then someone is considered worthy of value, worthy of acceptance, worthy of love. Before we do a thing, God loves us. God is love. We, brothers and sisters, are the beloved. We are intimately loved by God long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved us. 
You are intimately loved by God. You were loved by God long before your parents, your teachers, your spouse, your children, your friends, any other person in your life. Long before they loved you, God loved you. And God will love you long after you've left this earth. And that's the truth of all our lives. That's the truth of all our lives that we can claim for ourselves, both corporate and individual. It's the truth spoken by the voice that says, you are my beloved. I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. God says to you this morning, you are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. In you I delight. I created your innermost being and I knit you together in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I knew you and I loved you. I carved you in the palms of my hand and have hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I gaze on you with divine tenderness and care, more intimate than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head. I have guided your every step. Wherever you go, I go with you. Wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy your hunger. And I will give you drink that will quench your thirst. I love you. You belong to me. You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. In you I delight. Now you may think I'm laboring this point. And I am. Because I know from my own experience that the journey from here to here can take quite a distance and quite a time. And we need to hear and have revealed to us again and again and again God's love for us. God delights in us. God loves us. God rejoices over us. God loves you. You don't need to perform to earn God's love. Please hear that this morning. You don't need to perform to earn God's love. God loves you, and everything we do flows from that love. We can all, individually and corporately, rest, rest, blessed rest in his love. As the church, we are the community of the beloved, called to show forth, like a city on the hill, the light and love of God. We are the body of Christ, the community of the beloved. We have nothing to prove. We are simply here, living our lives as his beloved, individually and corporately. As the church, the body of Christ, his hands and his feet, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. These good works are not to earn God's love, not to prove that we are his children, but flowing from and empowered by his love for us. We are to be love in action in our communities, just like salt, to savor those we come into contact with, with the agape love of God. Freely we have received, freely we give. And in my experience, this is a lifelong journey of endurance and an adventure of discovery. 
It's both endurance and discovery. As we live in, as we live in deepening communion and abiding with God and others. As we live in abiding communion with God and others, our faith is a corporate faith. Through pain and healing, suffering and joy, sickness and health, offense and forgiveness, resentment and gratitude, mourning and celebration, birth and death. We discover afresh, again and again and again, that God is there, God is faithful, God cares, and his everlasting arms of love will never let us go. In Christ, God's everlasting arms of love will never let you go. You are held in his embrace. For as the Apostle Paul says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God is love. And this morning, may you know this love. May it be liberating truth and abundant life to each of you. May this love then overflow from us and flow from us like streams of living water to a world in need of God's grace and truth, his hope and peace, his justice and mercy. As the team returns to lead us in prayer, please would you join me in praying together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and honour you this morning. You are the one true living God of agape, love, justice and mercy, grace and truth, hope and peace, generosity and joy. Thank you. Thank you that we are your beloved, that you love us, that we do not need to perform to try and earn your love. Help us, O oh God, receive the simple truth that in Christ you love us with an everlasting love that will never let us go. Thank you. Thank you that in Christ we belong to you. We are your beloved sons and daughters. Your favor rests upon us. You delight in us. You rejoice in us. Each day grant us grace that we may simply love and delight in you in the way you love and delight in us. And may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our hearts and in our lives, for your glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.